Welcome into another edition of the Designated for Assignment Podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you as always. You can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at J Goldberg 12. It's hard to believe it, Josh. We've been doing this podcast for many, many months now. It's uh, too many to count right at the beginning of the season. And it feels like we're still talking about the same stuff. The Jekyll and Hyde of this team that, uh, you know, they go six and one on a road trip through Boston and New York and look like they're playing their best baseball of the season. And then they immediately crap the bed and lose three in a row to the Angels. Then the Cubs come into town and it takes them a while to figure things out. But they do get a win on Monday night. They get a win on Tuesday as well. And they will go for the sweep on uh, Wednesday evening. It's just been a complete mess all season long. It's been a roller coaster ride. Hasn't exactly been the most fun roller coaster uh, of all time. I enjoy roller coasters, but this has not been a a fun one so far this season, even though they are in a playoff spot and still remain in a position to finish in a first wild card spot and uh, potentially host a playoff game uh, at home. So things are, you know, going well, I guess, if you want to put it that way, that they are still on track to make the postseason, but it just feels like there's so much left on the table. Yeah, it's been rough, man. Like it, it has not been enjoyable. You, you had the tweet of the season. That is the tweet of the season. That video you posted was it a, <laughs> a Greek soccer coach yeah. or something like that? Perfect. It's the encapsulation. Nothing yeah. will top it. It's sometimes the, maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And that's, that's exactly what it is. Exactly, exactly what it is. And you know, I we talked about this last week. You asked me um, how I was feeling after the six and one road trip, and I said guarded because. There's been enough baseball here to know that a shitty stretch is is coming around the corner uh, for this ball club. This is just the way they are. They've acknowledged it. They don't really know why they're streaky uh, and there's no real explanation to it. it. It defies any logic. Anything you may have thought you knew about baseball has gone out the window this year. This has been such a vexing, confounding team that I'm, I'm done trying to figure it out. It just, at this point, sort of is what it is. And I think, you know, when you're talking about 130 games, pretty much of sample size, okay, that's, uh, you know, it's basically an entire season. Now the hope just has to be that one of your hot stretches happens at the right time to ensure that you get into the postseason. And then somehow either you extend it or if you cool off a bit at the end of the season, but you're still good enough to get in, you heat back up again for a time in the playoffs to propel you deep into October. And, you know, obviously, ideally November, if you want to win the World Series. But beyond that, I don't there just hasn't been anything. What are what what are we waiting for? What's what are we grasping at that is all of a sudden going to click in for this fucking team to resemble the one that we all expected. Maybe we just got duped here. We got to hoodwink bamboozled taken for a ride. <laughs> Maybe there is an element of that. We all overrated them. Perhaps there's some of that as well. They're not a bad team. I'm not saying that, but they're not a, you know, they're, they're just, I've said this so many times. They're not as good of, as they should be the sum of their parts. They, they're not as good as the sum of their parts. So many guys haven't had the years that everyone have, has expected. You know, there's enough talent, I suppose, that you could just put it all together. But the fact that it hasn't happened up until now, I don't know why we should just assume that it, that it could at any point happen this season. Like, why would it? 
Yeah, I think you're spot on there. It's kind of similar to 2016. I think a lot of people have pointed out where, you know, coming off the heels of that incredible 2015 run, the summer of 2015, right into the ALCS against the the Royals, you know, felt like the Blue Jays had a lot of momentum going into 16. Obviously, you know, the team did change and there were some new faces and some faces that did not stay. But, you know, that final month, they went 11 and 16 and they weren't exactly, you know, life and death to make the playoffs. Um, But, you know, they were battling for a wild card position, which they ultimately got a home game against the uh, Baltimore Orioles with a couple of wins against the Red Sox in the final series of the season. So it does feel a little bit similar to six years ago. We'll take a deeper dive into, you know, some of the bigger storylines going on around this team right now. But I got to ask you, you were at the game on uh, Monday nights and uh, it was a rough one for a while. Like I said, Blue Jays offense did not show up uh, until late in that one. But, you know, we've talked about this uh, a lot uh, just amongst ourselves. And I think a lot of Blue Jays fans feel the same way. When the roof is closed and it's a hot summer day, it oh. is just an absolute hellhole. Even if the baseball is good, uh, it is hard to just sit there and kind of take it all in. We'll, we'll see, you know, what happens next year. We know the renovations are coming for the outfield. Uh, you know, Mark Shapiro hasn't talked much about air conditioning uh, when it comes to uh, the dome being closed during the hot, humid summer months. But uh, take us in. For people that have never been to Rogers Center listening to this podcast, uh, what was that experience like? Miserable. This is only the the word. I don't, you know, you spend a certain amount of money to go to an event, sporting event, what have you. You want to be comfortable. Ticket prices, you sit in the 200s, not cheap. Beer is $15. You know, you get snacks. It's not a cheap pilgrimage down to the, the old ballpark. And I don't want to be sweating my bag off in a baseball stadium. I just don't want to do it. And that was what was happening. It was brutal, like just stifling you know, thick, dewy air. And it's just like, what, what the fuck is going on here? I understand it's an old stadium. It's a relic now in some, in some respects, but come on, man, you got to improve that. People can't be sitting there schwitzing, pouring sweat, watching a baseball game in 2022. You just, you got to do better. I, I, I would hope that circulation is going to be, um, you know, something that is improved and more than anything, why was I don't even know why the roof was closed on Monday night. I, I know that, you know, they have their radar and their forecast, but by all accounts, it did not rain. And if you have it on good authority that it's not going to rain, it was I know it was super muggy and hot outside, but I'd still rather breathe fresh mu- muggy air than muggy, you know, not really air conditioned, circulated crap air, which is what it was. The game was good. I enjoyed it but I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have if, you know, it was more of a temperate situation. Yeah. Well, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I remember last year when they came back to Toronto, one of the things that they did, even in the later months, they would open the flap, right? When the flap opens, that gives you a sign that the roof is going to open. And they did that to, you know, I guess with COVID rules and such to give it sort of that outdoor feel. So at the very least, they gave you a little bit of ventilation, uh, opening a window in the, in the roof, in the dome, but they haven't done that this year, seemingly just letting people bake uh, inside the sauna. That is Rogers Center when it is a, a humid night in the city of Toronto. But as we mentioned, the last couple of games uh, games have been much better for the Blue Jays as they've uh, won two in a row against the Chicago Cubs, beating uh, old friend Marcus Stroman, who had a really good outing against his uh, old team pitching in Toronto for the first time since he was dealt. But like I said, uh, a lot of you know good things going on with this team right now, and namely, you know, the bullpen, Josh, which, uh, you know, at the trade deadline, we talked a lot about it, the Blue Jays solidifying things with the addition of Anthony Bass, uh, Zach Pop, who is now down uh, in AAA, but it just really set every 
everything seemingly, you know, into place with regards to the pen, Jordan Romano being the closer, of course, and then, you know, Jimmy Garcia, Anthony Bass being that uh, set up one, two punch and being used in, in many different situations, of course. And, you know, come playoff time, uh, you you know, still question marks about this bullpen, but with the days off in between, you know, depending on how far the Blue Jays go, if they go past a wild card series, you know, I was looking back to last year and the Atlanta Braves, they really only had three guys, you know, that pitched a lot. And that was AJ Minter, uh, Will Smith, and uh, the other left-hander Tyler Matzik, who I almost forgot there, but they really only had, you know, those three guys uh, pitching quite a lot and pitching a ton of innings. And right now, if you're the Blue Jays, you've got three guys you really trust in, in the ones that I mentioned, but it would just be great to have a fourth guy. You know, Adam Simber, of course, has his moments. Tim Meza, who we love, has his moments. I know, you know, Trevor Richards has uh, pitched well since coming back from uh, his uh, injuries, but hasn't always been in the highest leverage situations. If they could just get one more guy to, to really jump out and be, you know, a really trusted piece in that bullpen, you just feel so much better about it. Yeah, I think, you know, you can get by, like you said, the Braves did. But, you know, Jimmy Garcia is, to me, he doesn't really go fit the profile of workhorse reliever, right? When he's rested and good, he's excellent. But, you know, sometimes pitching him consecutive days or if he needs to pitch three straight days, like uh, if you make it to the wildcard series, there are no off days. Good chance you're going to need your guys there to pitch all of those games, ideally, you know, starting pitcher, if you get there does enough that you buy some guys a day, but that's a concerning thing for me with him. You know, Romano has been good pitching on back-to-back days or pitching more than three outs uh, in, in save opportunities or what have you. But sometimes it just feels like his stuff isn't as sharp and that's not surprising because he, you know, just isn't as fresh and he's going to the slider more and he doesn't have the same velo and just trust in his fastball. And he's relying more on putting balls in place. We, we kind of saw that last night. I, I don't believe he got a whiff last night and it was basically just, I think he threw 80% sliders and he had pitched, uh, you know, the night before. And I, that's concerning to me, you know, is Trevor Richards, he pitched in leverage last night and I took a major deep breath when I saw him trotting out from the bullpen in a five, three game did the job. He throws a lot of pitches. He works a lot of deep counts. It's still to me, not a recipe for consistent success in the playoffs. There's not really anyone right now. I know people will say Merriweather and or Pearson. Like, okay, sure. Maybe that happens. You're a, you're a, a, a more, you're willing to live more dangerously than I am. If you're willing to actually believe one of those two guys is a factor uh, in the postseason. And outside of those guys, there's just not really anyone that I think will emerge beyond what they are. We already know about them. Like Adam Simber could have success in the postseason, but you know what it's going to look like. Everyone I think is what they are. They are at this point, and you just have to hope that some or one of those guys is just able to do what they do normally to, a, you know, just a successful at a successful rate and are able to have results in those big, bigger spots in the playoffs because all the spots are big in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things the coaching staff, I think, has done a really good job of is putting guys in position to succeed. I mean, earlier this year when you didn't have Anthony Bass, you know, Adam Simber, Trevor Richards, guys like that were just put in a lot of spots that they shouldn't have been in, you know, where maybe you needed, um, you know, a big strikeout and you had all you had was Adam Simber available. And he's, you know, obviously you need seven guys, um, you know, a lot of relievers throughout a whole season to get you to the end there. So it's not as if, you know, Adam Simber hasn't played a role. He's been, you know, really great this season. And same with a guy like Dave. 
David Phelps, who we didn't even touch on. And maybe he's the guy, you know, that fourth guy that you feel um, pretty trusted with, uh, you know, coming into any situation. But um, just on the whole, I mean, the bullpen feels a lot more solid than it did uh, maybe, you know, two months ago over the last month. They've been, you know, one of the better bullpens in, in all of Major League Baseball, which is good to see the swing and miss, you know, still isn't going to be there. I don't think it's ever going to be there. You just don't have those types of guys. I mean, it says a lot when Trevor Richards is one of your highest strikeout, you know, pitchers and, and relievers coming out of the pen. So um, you just want to get outs and they've got a lot of guys that can do that right now. And, and Jordan Romano is, uh, you know, front and center of that. And, you know, there's starting to be a lot of talk now. You look at his numbers dating back to last season. You know, he's been one of the best relievers in all of Major League Baseball, obviously made the All-Star team uh, earlier this year, but you know, it's a Canadian thing here where you've got the hometown guy. He's doing his thing for the Blue Jays and everybody here seems to be talking about him, but it, it doesn't feel like he's getting the, you know, national attention that maybe he should be getting across Major League Baseball. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is interesting. Like he has been so, so good. And I don't really know why, like you think of some of the dominant you know, closers and, and relievers um, in baseball and, and, and obviously, I, is it Toronto bias? Is it Canada? I don't really normally buy into that stuff. It has been interesting. The he's, His ERA and war are basically similar to what they were last year. His strikeouts have been, I would say, borderline onto into precipitous decline. Like his uh, K per nine and his first two reliever seasons were uh, above 12. And this year it's under 10. It's still above nine. You know, he's not really giving up much in the way of, of super hard contact these days. He hasn't given up a lot of home runs. He always runs a pretty low BABIP. He's just a really good reliever. And uh, we talk about how the Jays have really been lacking in terms of the homegrown relievers, like the Felix Bautistas of the world, the, the mutants. Jordan Romano is a bit of a mutant. I understand that you'd love to see more, but that's a success story. I know he left the organization, came back. But that's their kind of byproduct of their work, their transition um, into a reliever. And it's obviously worked. That's a great success story. You'd love to see more of that. You know, the Merriweather, because Nate Pearson, a reliever going forward, I have absolutely no idea. But it is interesting that like, I know he was a, an all-star, but he's definitely not looked at in the same mold um, as some of the dominant closers in Major League Baseball. And it is a little bit puzzling why that, you know, happens to be the case because he's got the chops um, uh, as, you know, in terms of the numbers, his saves are right up there. Like he's not Edwin Diaz or Emmanuel Classe who throw insane off-speed stuff and have all this movement. And then there's the Duran guy in Minnesota through a hundred mile per hour splitter. Like Romano just throws fastball slider and it's, when it's great, it's great. Sometimes it can and weigh in a little bit, but it's it's a it's a puzzler to me why he's not looked at in the same mold as some of those other guys. Yeah, and uh, maybe some playoff appearances will help that conversation with regards to Jordan Romano. So we move over to uh, the offense now, which obviously went in the tank over the past you know few games, especially the weekend against the Angels, and you know obviously in tough. I mean, Reed Detmers maybe the full season numbers aren't uh, you know super and jump off the page, but he pitched well, um, as did Shohei Otani, and that's kind of what you expect there. It was that final game that I think you know threw a lot of people off. I know you uh, you know tweeted out the numbers prior to the ball. 
game um, for Tucker Davidson and thinking, hey, the Blue Jays should smash this guy. And I Fuck. thought the same way, way as well. And uh, that was not the case. Was, uh, Tucker Davidson uh, ate up the Blue Jays, which uh, tends to see, you know, tends to happen from time to time with, uh, you know, just random left-handed pitchers that seem to have the Blue Jays numbers. Uh, but, you know, of late, uh, I think things have started to turn around here in the, the last couple of games against the uh, Chicago Cubs. But I think, you know, one person that really jumps off the page for me right now that is, you know, I wouldn't say concerning, but you always wonder, you know, what's going on when he's having a rough go um, at the dish. And, you know, aside from the homer on Tuesday night, Vladimir Guerrero has not uh, been playing particularly well uh, on that side of the uh, the the ledger. And, uh, you know, Vladimir Groundout Jr. has made his return. I mean, the, the ground ball percentage over the last couple of weeks is just insanely high. It's uh, through the roof. And we know when Vladdy's hitting the ball on the ground the majority of the time, uh, the results are usually uh, not there. And I think everybody has been trying to dissect it and trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is going on with Vladdy here. You know, I don't know if I'm adept enough to be like, okay, swing playing this and, you know, timing this and timing that. But, you know, just on the whole, it doesn't doesn't look right. And I've always said you can tell, you know, when Vladdy is going at his best, when he's, you know, taking certain pitches. And right now, just not taking a lot of pitches at all. It seems to be swinging at everything and anything. And, you know, that's usually the case when guys are pressing and, you know, the offense is going and, you know, games are mattering right now. He's probably trying to do a little too much. And I think maybe that's uh, at the very least is uh, something that that we can all agree on that uh, maybe he's just trying a little bit too hard. Yeah. There have been some frustrating moments where you can see he is not thrilled and in the dugout and, 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 you know, you're so used to him being this gregarious, happy, go lucky, larger than life personality, which he still has been, but there have been more sullen, uh, angry moments because he's struggling. And, you know, the fact of the matter is even in the month of August with him not looking great, like you think on Tuesday night against the Cubs, he tied the game up at one, but it was a real bad at bat. And he just, I think, kind of got bailed out, kind of hit a cue shot up the middle, another ground ball that just found a hole. And a lot have not found holes. He's right up there among the major league leaders and hitting it double plays this year. His ground ball rate in uh, as we enter the final game of August is 59%. And it's way up from last year. I think it's increased more than 5% from last year. He's always going to be a hitter who I think runs a relatively elevated ground ball rate, but you'd like it to be under 50%. And it hasn't been this year. I think it was uh, 46, 47% in that range in his incredible year last year. He still got a 134 WRC plus in the month of August. He's hit six home runs, but there have been a lot of bad at bats. And, uh, you know, he hasn't, had the same level of patience. He's only running a 5% walk rate this month. He's not striking out much, but he's just swinging a lot. There are a lot of, you know, swinging at fastballs up in the zone, taking those, you know, home run cuts and and maybe trying to, like you said, do a little bit too much. And they're not going to get anywhere this season if he continues pounding everything on the ground and having these kinds of bad at bats because he is like as much as Springer is the heartbeat and the engine in some ways, Vladdy is really the going to be the the big catalyst. I think if he's locked in, you know, uh, other guys can be cold because he's so good that he can make up the difference. And he just hasn't really had any stretches like that this year. Like there haven't really been many or any prolonged stretches this year where he's looked like the hitter that he was last season. 
Yeah, it's just been a really weird season where there have been some good stretches, but um, even through the good stretches, he hasn't looked particularly good. Like I, th- yeah. I think of the month of June, and, you know, he was crushing everything as far as mistakes go, but the at-bats just weren't great. He just seemed to be getting a hold of, you know, every mistake that was coming across the plate, but, uh, you know, maybe the process wasn't as good. But uh, right now he is uh, going through it with uh, all these balls being hit on the ground. And, you know, I said it the other day that, uh, you know, like you just said, you know, the ground ball percentage, uh, you would love to see it be under 50%, you know, moving forward here. You don't want to tinker too much and, you know, sort of ruin a guy's swing. Uh, I think we see that from time to time, but, um, you know, he's just too talented to not figure it out eventually. And I'm not saying he's, you know, all of a sudden going to be a guy that's, you know, 40% ground ball percentage for the rest of his career, but it's something that hopefully he and this team can figure out uh, moving forward because as he gets older and the speed, you know, gets even worse, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to beat out any ground ball. So um, he's got to figure out how to, you know, get that launch angle back up just a, a little bit, maybe even to the heights that it was a season ago uh, when he had that monster monster season so as far as the lineup goes you know Lourdes Goriel Jr. continues to be in that three spot we saw Alejandro Kirk there for a bit Um, you know beyond that there's been a few different you know versions that John Schneider has gone with we've seen you know Matt Chapman bat fifth we've seen Bo Bichette bat fifth we've seen Teoscar Hernandez bat fifth we've seen those guys kind of move um, all over the place but as you pointed out you know on Twitter Lourdes Goriel Jr. has not been particularly good uh, over the last couple of weeks here which is a shame because he he was one of the best, you know, hitters on the planet, uh, you know, over the last couple of months, but he has obviously cooled off uh, quite substantially here. I'm not sure who you put in that, you know, three spot. Do you go back to Teoscar Hernandez? Do you go back to Bo Bichette? I mean, those guys are kind of up and down. You know, Matt Chapman has really, really cooled off as well. Alejandro Kirk has been, you know, pretty bad since the the All-Star break. So I'm not even sure, you know, where you can go at this point because uh, nobody's exactly, you know, hitting the cover off the ball um, at the moment. Maybe it's a case where you just kind of have to keep riding it out and, you know, hopefully you get a better picture of who is going to, you know, really turn things up here over the last, you know, uh, four weeks or so. But uh, you know, it's got to be tough right now for John Schneider to figure out, um, you know, who his best and you know hottest hitter right now is after you know George Springer and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, I, I I'm always hesitant with lineup configuration and batting order and and how much it matters. You know, like I think with certain hitters, certain spots just are going to be good fit. Springer in the in the leadoff spot, Vladdy batting second. I still really like Teoscar cleaning up, but that hasn't happened of late. He's been inconsistent, you know, injuries, some some inconsistency in the field. I still like him there, but like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. just hasn't been as good there. And maybe there is something to be said for lower in the lineup. It's just a better fit for him. Maybe he's just more comfortable uh, in, in those situations where, you know, he just comes up after these guys and when they're going well, he still has opportunities to drive in runs. You know, how many times did he come up with the bases loaded even earlier in the season batting sixth or seventh or something like that? I just, it just seems like a better fit for him. People will say, oh, well, he's just cooled off while he's been batting in the three spot, which I think is probably true, but it, the at-bats just haven't been as good. You know, he's maybe seems to be pressing a little bit and, you know, some of the stuff that really was a hallmark of his success this year has been waning uh, a little bit. There just hasn't been as much contact or hard contact, right? He hasn't had as many squared up swings. Like I, it's just been a weird fit for him there. And I'm on board with having him back in that customary six or seven spot. 
I know people have basically just canceled Bo Bichette as being a good baseball player over the last, you know, couple of weeks because he's had some rough moments, but he's been hot at the plate of late. I'm I'm good to put him back in the three spot. I know that I'm probably on an island there, but he while well, he's going and he's got comfort in that in that situation, I think he could be primed for a big September. I want him back in the three spot personally. Yeah, I mean, you're just trying to figure out, you know, who your hottest guys are and hopefully you can put someone in there that you trust. And, you know, Bo Bichette, uh, despite uh, his overall season numbers, like you said, has been a lot better of late. So maybe he finds himself there. Maybe it's Teoscar Hernandez who finds himself back there um, as well with uh, his home run on uh, Tuesday night. So we talked about Lourdes Goriel Jr. struggling. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, as we mentioned, has been really bad since the uh, All-Star break. The numbers have gone just the complete opposite direction. Um, you know, it was interesting. I, I looked the day before, actually, I think it was Monday, uh, before Danny Jansen hit that home run to uh, get the Blue Jays within one against the Cubs. The Blue Jays catching offensive numbers have been really bad since the All-Star break. I think they were like 21st in WRC+. Plus. Now it's like a 50-game sample as opposed to the larger sample um you know prior to the all-star game uh where you know danny jansen was having a phenomenal season alejandro kirk of course was having uh, a great season up to that point the overall season numbers still great for kirk you know 137 wrc plus he's one of the better you know hitting catchers in all of uh, major league baseball but you know they always say you're not uh, as good as you are when you're at your best and you're obviously not as bad as you are when you're at um, your worst i mean now that you've seen sort of the the peaks and the valleys of you know kirk's season right now you know, what's sort of your, your thoughts moving forward with him here? Cause I still think he has a place in this team. I'm not saying he's going to get dealt or he's not going to get moved, but you know, I'm starting to wonder now, uh, not that, you know, the mirage, it was a mirage in the first half of the season, but you know, there are still some question marks about uh, his, you know, ability, I think, you know, uh, long-term through a tough grind in a whole season. I mean, this yeah. is the first time he's played, you know, hundred plus games uh, at the major league level. He's obviously not been behind the dish all season long, but you know, maybe it's a case where, things are starting to to wear down on a guy right now who you know is five uh, eight listed as five eight and two sixty five. I mean, it can't uh, be the easiest to you know have all that weight on you um, at times and, and kind of carrying that through a tough grind of the season. So um, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, he continues to go out there and play, and he's you know started to hit a little bit better of late. But uh, you know, you're just starting to wonder. I think uh, over the, the long term, you know, how is his body going to hold up? Absolutely. That's, that's really where it comes down to. I, I don't think it's a question of talent. I don't think his talent has eroded here. I think he's got one home run basically since the all-star break, he's not hitting the ball uh, with the same level of authority that he did earlier in the season. He's still like, there's still a lot of good at bats. He doesn't strike out much. He sees lots of pitches when, when things even aren't uh, firing on all cylinders for him, but it is a question mark, you know, how he can withstand the grind of a long season. I understand, you know, c- catchers aren't playing the same level that they used to. Like you're not going to have a catcher catch 140 games really anymore. It just, it doesn't happen the same way uh, that it used to, but he has to find a way to, as he gets uh, older and, and, and uh, continues to grow as a ball player. He's only 23 years old to find a way to, to withstand the long haul of the season. And, you know, maybe it means more DH days mixed in. Is he going to be able to catch for the, the long, long term? I, I think still the most likely scenario is that Gabby Moreno is the catcher and, and Kirk is catching some and DHing some as well. Or maybe he does end up uh, getting traded because I, I do think that Gabby Moreno probably profiles as a superior defensive option back there. Kirk's made some nice strides. 
But I just, if he can't physically hold up over the course of the long season, and it's not just a case of being able to stay on the field, you have to be able to, you know, have gas in the tank to continue to perform at both ends of the field as a catcher, then, you know, it's, it's fair to wonder, you know, how high the ceiling is because, you know, you can't be a truly elite player at any position if you're only really good for the first three months of the season, then you just fall off a cliff because you run out of steam down the stretch. Yeah. And the thing is that, I mean, you just know the potential of the bat and how good it can be, you know, even though Danny Jansen, you know, had that big uh, game on Monday nights, you know, his bat has really cooled off. And if you're going to look just the two in a vacuum and clearly Kirk has the, you know, superior offensive ability, but if, you know, Danny can start heating it up again, at the very least, he can sort of take the load from uh, Kirk a little bit here to try to get him through the end of the season so that he's not completely gassed, you know, by the end of it. So uh, the catching position, which was uh, such a strength earlier on in the season, for the Blue Jays, still a strength, of course, but um, just not clicking in the same way it was uh, prior to the All-Star break. All right, let's uh, get to uh, some listener, I guess, comments this week at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 3-4 and at Jay Goldberg 12. And, you know, you made the the comments about uh, Ross Stripling and, you know, we've talked about it on the pod before. You know, would you be on board with the Blue Jays giving Stripling the qualifying offer somewhere between 18 to, to 19 million for next season? And I think, you know, kind of lumps in as well. I think there's been a lot of comments conversation around Teoscar Hernandez. So, you know, you've got a guy in Hernandez who's coming off a couple of silver sluggers, has really turned his season uh, around after, you know, an injury riddled start to it and, and some struggles and, and Ross Stripling, obviously, who has been sensational. Uh, we'll begin with Stripling before we get into uh, Teoscar, but uh, looking at some of the comments here, Daryl says he wouldn't do it, uh, give Ross Stripling a qualifying offer, he said, but a reasonable contract of, you know, two times 12, I imagine that uh, the 12 is an annual number not a, a total number I don't think Ross Stripling signing a, a two-year deal for 12 million dollars total um, but he also adds Doughty would accept it and there likely will be bigger offers Jerry says if they can afford it yes he's been a hero this year and the media does not give him enough credit and our, our buddy Josh Housem of the uh, turf pod says uh, he thinks it's just an impossible question to answer without knowing the budget the Jays have no other noteworthy contracts coming off the books so uh, 18 million for a fourth starter is going to be tough to justify without a uh, massive budget increase and I think that's where I kind of land on it, yeah. um, where, you know, as great as Ross Stripling has been this year, you know, to have a guy that uh, you really only trust going two times through the order, you know, putting $18 million potentially on that guy when you can spend that money elsewhere, whether it's, you know, reliever or, you know, another position player yeah. um, that's going to be out there more often. I just think there's there's better ways to spend money. If you want to spend $18 million on a better starting pitcher, I think that makes, you know, a lot more sense. Yeah, no chance. I'm I'm doing that. I, I I would be really surprised. The Jays didn't hand Steven Matz a qualifying offer uh, last year, and I know he's not ha- he didn't have the same you know six level of success. But Matz was really good. Pitched deeper into ball games. Had a sub four ERA. Gave them a chance to win. Did everything and more. He took the ball every time. You know, Stripling still workload wise, and like he said, two times through the order. That's a rich ticket for me. And I, I just don't see it, even with the possibility of draft pick compensation. I think a qualifying offer attached to Ross Stripling would probably discourage teams who would have been interested in him. And, and you know, he might end up, um, you know, it just might de- depress, depress the market a little bit. So I don't see it happening. 
I don't see him back here next year. I think it's a Matt situation all over again. I'm not saying he's going to get four years, but I could see the team giving him three years and, and 36 million, something similar to what Kikuchi got. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, that's just, I want a little bit more upside. Uh, I understand, you know, Kikuchi was an upside play and it didn't, hasn't worked out and probably won't work out, but strip playing, it's just, he's maxed out. I think his effectiveness this year. And, you know, there's, there's just some downside there, you know, for me that it's just too glaring for that level of financial commitment uh, as to what I think he forecasts to give you over the lifetime of a three-year contract. Yeah, and look, you say Kikuchi, who you talked about. Uh, I think the reality is they're going to give him another shot next year mm-hmm. um, with his contract, whether people like it or not. You know, coming to spring training, he's going to have a shot at trying to make the rotation once again. And you know, Mitch White's going to be in the mix. And if they, you know, add some other free agents, there there might be other guys. And you know, Ricky Tiedemann's banging on the door, right? Like, you know, not saying that uh, you know the Blue Jays are just going to go with six potential options and see what happens. You're obviously going to need way more uh, depth at that position uh you know the blue jays definitely needed that this year you know ross stripling stepping up in the absence of hunjin ryu but uh it just doesn't seem like the greatest way to spend you know potentially 18 million dollars as great as ross stripling has been i just think there's uh, better ways to use that capital so on the other end you've got teoscar hernandez next year heading into the final year of his deal you know, I've always been of the mindset, I think you just kind of let it play out and see where things go. You know, the Blue Jays obviously did approach Teoscar, um, according to reports about a potential, you know, contract extension and that uh, nothing came of it, of course. So he obviously thinks he could get more potentially if he heads to to free agency. He wanted to let things uh, play out. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to stay um, in Toronto. But I, I just think when you've got other guys you need to give the money to, you know, Teoscar's going, going to be, you know, 30 plus moving forward here. Um, there's always danger to that. And I know the Blue Jays signed an outfielder uh, by the name of George Springer, uh, 30 plus, who uh, has been great um, and his body has uh, betrayed him the last couple of seasons. I think that's sort of, you know, a bit of a, an example of maybe you don't want to have two guys, you know, going into their 30s, potentially making 20 plus million dollars that, uh, you know, could be injury prone. I mean, Teoscar's already dealt with a bunch of stuff this year. Uh, there's just too much risk, I think, to, you know, want to give him money. And, you know, I, I kind of joke today, just about the Ross Stripling stuff, uh, you know, instead of signing Ross Stripling, I'd rather sign Matt Chapman to an extension. Probably mm-hmm. rather have Matt Chapman on an extension than Teoscar Hernandez, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, I think I would too, because, uh, you know, Chapman, the elite defensive stuff, I know that metrics wise this year has been not as glowing for him. I don't know how much stock to put into that shit sometimes. I watch him play and uh, I see a really good defender there. That is going to be an interesting one. You know, like what his market is going to dictate in terms of what teams need a third baseman, how much he could get. You know, there are definitely holes in his game offensively. How's he going to age, bat speed, et cetera. I'm on board, certainly, with uh, a long-term deal. I think that the Lourdes Teoscar being on the same contractual window with another year left, I think that's a situation where it might be an either or I I think one of those guys could be signed to uh, a medium to long-term type deal and kept here, but I don't think both of them uh, will be. And Teoscar was linked to the Marlins before the lockout in uh, some trade discussions, whether it was Pablo Lopez or Eliezer Hernandez, whoever, one of those Marlins right-handers. And I think that there is a a possible situation where that happens again this off season, where he's 
bandied about in trade discussions and maybe something comes to fruition or, or maybe not. And then maybe if he's back here next year, it's one more year, one more fun year. Cause he's a great guy to have in the clubhouse. And then he becomes a free agent and, and he leaves and baseball is different where, you know, rentals and like uh, not getting something for an expiring contract. It's not really the same situation unless you're falling out of contention, then maybe you look to trade him at the deadline next year. If something goes horribly awry and, and recoup some assets. But if you fancy yourself a contender and you can't make a deal in in the offseason that makes you better, then ride it out with him. And if he leaves, you know, you thank him for the great years that he gave you. Yeah, I think uh, both guys definitely could be in play this offseason, like you mentioned. All right, let's wrap things up with our Teoscars Player of the Week. We've got five candidates for the past seven days. Danny Jansen, of course, that monster game against the Cubs. Bo Bichette has been swinging it better of late. Matt Chapman just continues to do everything on both sides of the ball. Jordan Romano's been great, and uh, Jimmy Garcia has been uh, phenomenal, not just in the past week, but uh, pretty much the last couple of months here, Josh. Uh, who are you going with? Uh, a lot of good candidates uh, over these uh, last uh, – these last seven days. I'm going to go with uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Garcia. He was so good in that uh, Monday night, extra innings walk-off win uh, over the Cubs. You know, Bo Bichette made a nice double off play, made a great stab uh, that helped him out, but he got a big strikeout there um, to send it to the bottom of the 11th tie, allowing Jansen um, to walk it off. He's been so good this year outside of like, I know you can't remove the blowups, but he's had a couple of hiccups here or there. But when he's put in optimal positions in terms of his workload and how fresh he is, he's gotten the job done. And he's had his number called in a lot of big spots this year and has just delivered and has been exactly what you would hope for, for a free agent signing. The thing with bullpen arms, who knows what he's going to be or not going to be next year, but on a two year, I think it was 11 or $11.5 million deal. He has been aces this year. And uh, as much as we beat up on some of the bullpen stuff with this front office, that was unquestionably a huge win. Yeah, they got it right on Jimmy Garcia. And uh, if that's a guy that, you know, even slots down a little bit more next year, if you get, you know, some better relievers in the mix, then, uh, man, this bullpen is going to look even better than it does uh, right now. I'm going to go with Matt Chapman. Um, the the defense just all season long has been ridiculous. And especially the last seven days, we've seen some, you know, absurd plays. Uh, we saw, you know, that crazy, you know, backhand toss to Bo Bichette to start a double play. The base running has started to, you know, become more evident, I think, for a lot of people. It's been there all season long but especially of late this guy can you know run the bases uh like no one um you know kind of in that speed range obviously he's not an elite speed guy uh, but just so good at uh you know taking the corners on bases just a really smart base runner and just does everything i mean he has been as advertised this year and the uh, offensive numbers have started to tick back up to where they were a couple of years ago when this guy was you know in the conversation for al mvp so matt chapman will get my vote this week for the tay oscar all right, that does it for another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Wong 34, and at Jay Goldberg 12. For Josh, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you in a week's time.